Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South, and he joins us right now on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. Connor, as always, appreciate you joining us this afternoon, man. How you doing? Gentlemen, doing well. Um, you know, I, I also long for the days in which we have parity in college football. You know, I, I was trying to think of what Nick Saban possibly could have been talking about, if there was maybe some sort of three-year stretch that I missed or something, or if it was when Harvard and Yale and Michigan were all playing in hardware store teams or, or what it was. But I, I'm still searching for that time in which uh, there was parity in college football. Yeah, that that's kind of the funny remarks that uh, everyone was having some fun with, with with Nick Saban. And I was like, man, if of all people to say it too, because if you're talking about if there's any sport that a lot of people pay attention to that lacks parity, it's definitely college football. When you heard those remarks, I'm like, man, what are you talking about? You're like, you're talking about you want Nebraska to be good at football again? I mean, just hearing that from Nick Saban was just something that was a little bit of uh, irony t- tasted with it as well. I think he just misspoke. <laughs> I, I don't think Saban often misspeaks, but I, I think that in this instance, um, I think he meant to say, and I, I shouldn't assume this, but if he had just said the words, I wish we could get closer to parity in college football, we're not talking about this, you know, four days later, whatever it is, we're probably dismissing that comment. It's like, yeah, okay, Nick Saban would like to see us closer to parity in college football. A lot of other fan bases would probably agree. Those teams that lost pretty significant contributors in the transfer portal like Louisville and Pitt now with Jordan Addison would probably agree with that notion that it'd be great if college football got back to some sort of parity where those teams actually had a chance and said, you know, they really don't. And I I think we've seen this play out even more so with college football playoff where now you're playing a 15 game season. And if you don't have that talent, like that we've, we've seen, uh, there's no world in which, Sorry, Mike Leach, but there's no world in which long shots are winning a national championship. Football is built differently than the way basketball is. And anybody that's, uh, that, that is of the impression that you can be a team that only recruits three-star players out of high school and still win a national championship, I think that they're, they've got their blinders on. Like It's just not about that in this sport anymore. And the talent, in my opinion, is more top-heavy than ever with Saban and Kirby and now even Jimbo recruiting at such a high level, it's just going to be that much more difficult for that next group to be able to compete with those guys, especially when they have a month to be able to prepare for kind of an all-or-nothing type game. It seems as though Nick Saban may have been speaking as far as the future of college football and not when he's still involved with it and who knows how long he'll still be involved, but um, you know, maybe he's speaking for the future and how it would make college football better and not necessarily while he's still there because we know ultimately he's still trying to win championships. But what does that really entail? Because, you know, if we're, if we're looking at the future of the sport, we're getting closer and closer to pay for play. I mean, some would argue that we're already there. Nick Saban would probably say that we're already at pay for play. And that NIL is just this, this term that is used to cover up what has essentially been pay for play with boosters and collectives and being able to funnel money to these players at big time programs and not just the players at big time programs. I mean, we're seeing collectives pop up all over the place. And it's kind of right now, like if you don't have a collective and you're at the power five level, like what are you doing? You need to be able to get your ducks in a row 
and figure out what exactly this looks like moving forward. And so the future of college football to me is, is not going to have parity. Like there's, there's no way, I, even if we get a, an expanded playoff field, I don't think that necessarily promotes parity. I think that promotes teams thinking that they have a chance, but you're still going to see this play out on a national scale wherein the most talented teams have the best chance to win. There's a reason why the SEC is 12-3 and three in these playoff games in which it isn't just playing each other. All right, that's not a coincidence. It's not like the SEC has everybody on the official side in their corner and they've got these games rigged. Like Anybody that still thinks that or, or has that SEC bias conspiracy theory is probably ignoring that very obvious number. So I think that we're getting further and further away from parity, and I think that the more we see these clumps of talent go to elite programs and then these elite programs steal it via the portal, I think that we're we're just trending in a, in a different direction, and obviously Nick Saban isn't exactly uh, optimistic about the future of the sport. So out of curiosity, because I agree with you, but out of curiosity, like you see, at least in college sports, college basketball has a pretty good amount of parity, you know, just because the NCAA tournament and teams that can win it or not win it, uh, it, there's a lot going on there. And I would even argue college baseball has parity. And if you go to professional sports, there's a lot of parity there. Obviously, some teams are going to have longer stretches of success, but uh, there's a lot of new teams, you know, the Bengals this past year and the Rams and all that. So it seems like there's more parity. But why is it in college football it's so difficult to have parity? Is it just because of the systems that are in place? Is it because the the lack of uh, postseason teams that can actually try to fight for a national championship? I mean, why is it that college football has such a problem or at least a huge lack of parity compared to other major sports? Two big things. It's the It's the talent pool that you're recruiting from where you have 85 scholarship players. I mean, compare that to any other sport. And even in the NFL, where you're all drafting from the same talent pool. I mean, it's not like the Bengals are the only ones who are allowed to draft Alabama players. And, you know, if you're the Detroit Lions, you can only draft from the MAC. What a scenario that would create. Um, but, you know, it's just different in the way that you're, you're picking talent. You have 85 scholarships to be able to award, so you can have five stars that are on your three deep and who are still a year or two away from playing, whereas in college basketball, you just don't have the room to be able to make that happen. And we've seen in college basketball this this shift towards the transfer portal, and obviously Eric Musselman embraced that about as much as anyone to be able to say, all right, hey, we can scout some of these lesser programs and we can kind of get our pick of the litter and be able to find the right guys to fit our system. In college football, you have this developmental aspect of it that is just so different. And what can happen over the course of a 40-minute college basketball game and the variance associated with a skill game like that where there is something like three-pointer, obviously, and there's five fouls. and It's just so much different than college football. Like That's not changing anytime soon. Like Unless, unless all of a sudden you're going to have drastic rule changes in college football to, to even the playing field, I really don't think you can do that. Maybe it'd be a different story in college basketball if the three-point line didn't exist. I know that's a very Bob Ryan-esque take, but I still think that we're trending in such a different direction in college football for that very reason because coaches have figured out to use those scholarship limits to their uh, really, I mean, to, to their to their best ability. And, and I think the way the football set up, that's just not changing anytime soon, and why that that's why this sport is so unique and why it feels like it is so top-heavy right now. Connor, you even mentioned expanding the playoff. You don't think that it would change anything there. Explain what you mean by that, because uh, we see it every year where teams are outside the top four, and you think that that number five team could be 
just as good, if not better, than the team that that sneaked into the last spot and got number four. So expanding the playoff, you still don't think that there would be any kind of parity? No. I mean, and there, there might be upsets. I mean, I, I think there could be first-round upsets. There's no doubt about it. But I still think that the best teams are going to win national championships. I don't think that's changing. I, I don't think you're going to see a scenario in which Wisconsin all of a sudden gets hot and Wisconsin was a seven seed and then Wisconsin – beats three teams to be able to win a national championship where they're significantly less talented, you know, compared to what, or Wisconsin's, you know, at such a talent disparity. I don't, I don't see that happening. I just don't. It's one thing to be able to say, let's have an expanded playoff so that Wisconsin can host Florida in a first round playoff game. What a site that would be. That'd be awesome for campus. That'd be really cool to be able to kind of see this sport go in, in in a direction that it's never really gone to be able to have these postseason games on college campuses would be so cool. But at the same time, are we sitting here pretending that Alabama is going to lose to Wisconsin on a neutral site all of a sudden? No, like I'm just not. I, I've seen this movie play out over and over and over again, and I, I don't think that that all of a sudden is going to change just because they had a previous game at home or, or something like that. And, We've seen just getting on that stage, you know, the team that has had the less, the least amount of talent to, to be able to win a national championship since 2015 was that 2016 Clemson squad, which ranked number six in the 247 Sports Talent Composite Index. They had a guy by the name of Sean Watson, so it worked out pretty well. Like, this is just kind of the way that it's worked in the past. And I, I just think that we're now hoping that just because we get an expanded playoff, that's going to change. And to me, that would be. Um, that would be a bit naive for all those schools who really just are not on that elite level yet. So in saying that, are you in favor of playoff expansion? Um, I don't need it, but I'm a little bit more of the thank you mindset. I, I think it would help the sport overall. Um, I, I don't think that we need to compromise things uh, the way that the Alliance currently wants to with having these automatic qualifiers because we've got 20 years' worth of data to show us that not all conferences are created equal, so why would we start believing that right now? I don't really buy that, that whole philosophy. Um, but I do agree that an expanded playoff field would be exciting, and it would be fun. And I, I think there's something to be said for, for having some of these games on college campuses. It would be cool to see a playoff game on USC's campus or to be able to see that you know, in Ann Arbor or something like that in December, like that, that would be, that'd be awesome. That'd be, that'd be good for the sport. It is really regionalized right now. How could it not be? How could you have a run like this with the SEC being so dominant over the course of the last 15 years and not feel like it is skewed in the direction of the Southeast? I, I'm in favor of seeing this new possibility, but at the same time, I kind of want to see it done right. And I don't necessarily want to see all these other things compromised unnecessarily because I still think in a 12 team field, the SEC is probably going to end up having four teams in on a pretty regular basis, and we could even see an all-SEC semifinal or, or something like that. So I don't think it's all of a sudden going to change the power dynamic, but I do agree that it would make more teams feel involved, and that overall is good for the sport. So we have a Connor Aguero Saturday Down South here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. You know, Connor, continuing on with parity too, I've always felt like as soon as Nick Saban leaves, it's going to open up a lot more doors for other teams. So say if Nick Saban, just because for fun, he's, after this year he retires, he calls it quits and all of that. I mean, would it be for the next five or six years after that where it still would only be two or three teams in the championship every time? Or do you see 
once he steps down, it opening up for a few other teams to get into the mix, a few other programs to get into the mix, maybe for some other conferences too. I don't know that it opens up nationally. I think it makes the SEC West a lot more interesting. I mean, I, I think it absolutely does. There, there's a stat in there, and, I, and I'm blanking on what it is exactly, but in terms of the national champions in the last 14 years, so basically like 2008 through 2021, the teams who won a national championship or played in a national championship, like basically all of them had to get through Alabama. They had to beat Alabama, which is just nuts to, to kind of think about, and obviously the years that Bama won. But it, there is a certain element of, wow, we now have a chance. It's, it's the starting pitcher who's, you know, goes eight innings and the, the lineup feels like we can't get anything going against this guy. Just bring in a reliever, bring in anybody. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, that, that mindset just kind of changes. I think there will be some of that at the same time. I mean, if I'm picking the teams who will still run the sport, Georgia's set up to be the team of the 2020s. Uh, from talent, from mindset, everything that you would want, Kirby has right now. And I, I think that you would still look at a team like Ohio State and say they're going to be at the top of the food chain. I have more questions about Clemson just because if Dabo Sweeney's going to refuse to use the transfer portal and acknowledge its existence and its importance in building a championship roster, I think he's got another thing coming, and I think his decade will look much different. But then, of course, you, you talk about Lincoln Riley, and I wouldn't sleep on Brent Venables at Oklahoma and what he could potentially build there. That might take a little bit more time. And then Jimbo Fisher recruiting this historic class. He's going to have a championship window in 2023 and 2024, whether Nick Saban is there or not. So I think that we'll still see a lot of the same teams at the top of the sport nationally, but it would absolutely open up things in the SEC West, and we wouldn't feel like it's such an over-and-done discussion to be able to have in the preseason. So the SEC has been dominant. They're the number one conference, have been for a long time. And uh, second place is kind of always up for grabs. What's the second best conference in college football now? It's Big Ten. It, it is. And, and the Big Ten has this drought that is that is looming. Um, but I think if you just look at – if you look beyond the playoff and look to New Year's Six, I think the Big Ten is, is the pretty obvious team because Clemson, you could say, has had more success from a championship-level standpoint. But, man, outside of that, it, it's rough. Like, the Coastal is, is just atrocious. And, and the Big Ten at least has the Big Ten East. And we've seen Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State all at least get to the playoff. And that's worth something. And I would have argued – I would argue that – 2016 Penn State got robbed and they deserved to actually make the playoff instead of that Ohio State team that got shut out 31 to nothing by Clemson in the semifinal. Um, so I, I would say that the Big Ten has that argument. Though at the same time, you know, the Big Ten has been at this place for a while now. And I still think that they're undoing and why they haven't had as much success being able to get all of their, their best teams to the playoff and being able to have success when they get to the playoff is because they switched to that nine game conference schedule in 2016. And I know a lot of people right now are talking about what the SEC schedule is going to be like when Oklahoma and Texas come on board. And they've kind of forgotten about this element of whether or not they're going to go from eight to nine games and what that could potentially look like in a pod system and a division list system, whatever it is. And I just think it's important. And I think it absolutely impacted the Big Ten. And the SEC has, has had this eight-game conference schedule, and the selection committee has never told them that, hey, you need to switch to a nine-game conference schedule because we don't respect you enough. So – I think that that's one of those things that we need to keep in mind. But, yeah, the Big Ten, in my opinion, is still considered the second-best conference. And these other these other leagues, you know, the Big 12 not having a single playoff victory. The Pac-12 hasn't been to the playoff since 2016. You've got to hold those things against them. 
I want to ask you this because I know you put out an article talking about your one bold prediction for every SEC defense in 2022. You put this out yesterday on Saturday Down South. And for Arkansas, you had Drew Sanders becoming an all-SEC linebacker. A lot of Razorback fans are having a lot of high hopes for him to come in and step up in the replacement of Grant Morgan and Hayden Henry. And we know that uh, he's good enough to start at Alabama. He's definitely good enough to start at Arkansas. But why do you feel like that's the one bold prediction you're going to have for Arkansas's defense this year? If not being as good as Dallas Turner is the biggest knock against you, um, I'm going to give you a pass. Uh, that's just that's the, the rule I live by. Uh, Dallas Turner confirmed good. He's going to be excellent this year. I actually think Dallas Turner is going to end up having more sacks than Will Anderson. I mean, I think he's, he's the real deal, and he's going to be a problem. He's going to get a lot of one-on-one matchups. But let's be honest. Drew Sanders isn't at Arkansas if Dallas Turner doesn't become a thing last year. Okay? That's pretty much the way that it played out at Alabama. And I thought he, he could have been a really nice piece at Alabama. Former five-star recruit, obviously, who was kind of blossoming into his own as a sophomore that got hurt last year. And now you're kind of looking at this going, man, he, he fits exactly what they need. If there's been a critique of the Barry Odom era so far, it has been that they haven't had those pass rushers. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think Arkansas hasn't had a guy rack up double-digit sacks in a decade. I mean, that, that's, that's a long time. And I think that Drew Sanders could absolutely be that guy I love the fact that he's going to be able to kind of pair up with Bumper Pool. They obviously have Jalen Catalan coming back, and you hope that he's going to be able to play in the box as well. So I just think that Drew Sanders is a guy that's kind of ready to shine with his opportunity. And we've seen linebackers who came in with less you know, recruiting talent, whatever you want to call it, than Drew Sanders, guys like Grant Morgan, Nick Bolton at Mizzou that have had success with Barry Odom. So I'm optimistic on what Drew Sanders is going to be able to bring to the table. In general, how are you feeling about some of the other transfers that Arkansas was able to get this year? Um, they, they were able to make some really good additions from teams like Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama. Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting because I, I think the one that everybody's going to keep their eye on has got to be Jaden Hazelwood, right? Like that's, to, to me, that that's one of the most important transfers just in the SEC in general. And if we're talking about a preseason top 15 team, and what's the biggest question mark on the offensive side of the ball for Arkansas? What's it going to look like in a post-Traylon Burks world? I know I've talked about this ad nauseum in the offseason, but his development and what Hazelwood can do, not to necessarily be Traylon Burks 2.0, but to just be a number one. That, that's what he needs to be for this team. He needs to be a guy where you know, if KJ can't get anything going and it's looking like, all right, it, it's third and eight, he needs a guy that he can go and trust in that spot to be able to move the chains and keep a drive alive. And I think that's where he's going to really come into play. And we need to see that trust develop. You know, that's been a critique of KJ so far is that he hasn't necessarily always trusted guys in those 50-50 matchups. And Jaden Hazelwood hasn't necessarily been a guy who's shown he can get consistent separation, but he's one of those guys who's like, throw it up, let me go make a play. I know Kendall Bryle said he catches anything in his vicinity. Let's see that play out this year. That, that to me, is going to determine – just what this ceiling for the Arkansas offense is. If the Oklahoma transfer can emerge and just become a reliable number one receiver, I think it's going to go a long ways as to whether, you know, determining whether or not Arkansas can take that next step and, and reach a New Year's Six Bowl this year. Well, Connor, as always, man, it's great to catch up with you. Great talking some college football with you and enjoy your summertime, man. And I know we'll be catching up with you here soon, all right? Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys.